Hello and welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your host, Casper. And I am your other host, Becky Grimlin. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays because... Wednesdays, as always, are for podcasts. I thought we were good. You were, like, still laughing. (laughs) Okay, guys, so... We're gonna we're gonna detour for a second because I just introduced Becky to Lonely Island, and if you guys have never heard of Lonely Island, look them up immediately and look up the song "I Just Had Sex." Look up the music video, um, Jessica Alba and Blake Lively are in it, which are amazing. Um, it's basically Andy Sandberg. Um, it's his group that he did like with SNL and Akon's in the song. And make it make sure you look up "Doing Your Mom," "Jizz in My Pants," "I'm on a Boat." Like it's just. Look up Lonely Island, and you're welcome. A <laughs> uh, little background. It was Akiva, Schaefer, Andy Sandberg, and Jorma Tacone. I apologize if I butchered your name. But they started <laughs> this trio in 2001, and then they went on to write and feature for SNL. And apparently between that time, I was living under a fucking rock. Because I absolutely don't remember <laughs> any of that. And it was pretty fucking hysterical to listen to, especially with the subject matter that we're getting ready to get. Oh, God. I just had sex. <laughs> well, I guess that would be appropriate for the topic. Oh, God, but it's so much more fucked up than Yeah, me. he didn't. And it wasn't women. Yeah, he didn't have sex, though. It was There's bad. a word for that. I believe it rhymes with grape. <laughs> yeah, grape. Grape and, um... Shape. And, and flape. Snape. <laughs> hey, I don't know, put I'm him in sorry. that category. I'm sorry. I love him, too. R.I.P. I'm just kidding. I apologize. I he doesn't belong in that category. Make anybody angry with that. No, he's amazing. I love Snape. Always. Yes, always. I'm sure that... I'm laughing to ugly cry face. <laughs> oh, God. And... Coughing up <laughs> So anyway. Okay. Now that I've had the my coughing fit early. All right. I'm like, do we need to un momento, poor favorite? Oh, goodness. All right, yeah. guys. So we are jumping into a horrible person. Um. <laughs> yeah, this guy's like the worst of the worst. We've done his some face baddies before. Is the worst. His face is the worst. <laughs> he is the worst. He's a horrible human. If you can even call him a person. Like, uh, just Yeah, he was literally born out of pure hatred and hell. The only positive that I can give the guy is that he really had a fucked up childhood and it really fucked him up. We are talking about Carl Panzeram, guys. Uh, We mentioned him a little bit when we did our Salem episode when we talked to Dr. Vitka. We hope you're listening. This one's for you. Shout out to you. Um... So we talked about one of his murders happening in Salem, Massachusetts, actually. So, uh, yeah, we really wanted to deep dive into this guy because he is like the worst of the worst, I think, of any serial killer that we could ever cover. I think apart from Andre Chikatilio, if you guys know who that guy is, Google that name. But this guy is just like had no remorse, had no heart, did not care what he did, and he just He's one of those guys that literally just wanted to watch the world burn. He just Yeah, he's bad. He hated everybody. He committed up to twenty one murders and over one thousand sodomies. 
mostly of young boys and young men and they were not done out of any sexual sexual gratification in any way shape or form they were purely done out of dominance he uh you know he kind of had this this motto of might makes right and if he could get over on you then that made it right because everybody he felt got over on him and his life and uh by the time he was a grown man he was six foot 200 pounds so yeah he could take over you in any way he could so yeah this guy is probably going to be one of the worst ones we've ever covered so this guy is like Definitely worse than Bundy. Definitely worse than Dahmer by far. So. Even though he didn't kill as many as they did, right. you have to look at it in the in the aspect of how he thought and how much hatred he had in his heart for people, just just people in general. Because Dahmer is the one that you know you kind of feel sorry for looking back on his life and what he went through. And yeah, he was the dominant kind as well. Excuse me, but he hated doing it he even said he hated doing it but he didn't give a shit he just wanted everyone to recognize that he was this killer and all this kind of stuff he, but he didn't have the hatred in his heart that panzeram has well and i also think too is panzeram is one of those serial killers like when we go into our and we promise you guys we're going to be doing a charles manson episode um a person that was just born out of like the worst luck ever, just born into shit, raised in shit, brought up in shit, turned into shit. And it just like, you know, every time you think it's going to get better for him, it's just shit. It just gets absolutely (laughs) worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. I do have to say doing the research on him, it was one of the most interesting ones. Like I really enjoyed reading about him, learning about him. Because the way he thinks is one of the reasons why I like him in, as a serial killer. Not, I, I know that sounds odd, but he right. has one of the most twisted minds. And that draws me. Well, I was in. glad we got to do him because I know you weren't familiar with him. And when I first found out about him, um, we mentioned him the last time towards the end is Mr. John Borowski, who's amazing. And his wonderful documentary, Carl Panzeram, The Spirit of Hatred and Vengeance. Um I had seen it prior to meeting him and uh, I just, I loved it. I was so impressed by it. It was my first introduction to Carl Panzeram. And as you said, I just became completely fascinated with him because unlike other serial killers, and like I told you, probably the closest I could come to, to comparing to as far as like just shit childhoods would be Manson, but just someone who just had complete, disregard for anything that he did and just did not care about the world and didn't care about anybody or anything because he had been treated like shit from the start from the time he was born pretty much so it really um, it's one of those cases where it really shows you just how much what you grow up in shapes you nature versus nurture for sure and he even says it himself yeah. which we're we're gonna get some quotes from him but i mean but, he he flat out says it himself yeah it shaped yeah. him into who he into was who he became yeah um we do want to mention a few references um as always we think wikipedia we've used wikipedia many times over in various podcasts that we've done for references um and then of course mr borowski for his amazing documentary 
Um, and then I just personally want to cite a YouTube channel uh, called Snarled and an amazing narrator, Rachel, who did a great two-part video on um, Carl Panzeram. Um, also, if you guys want to get even, if we don't go into as much detail as you'd prefer, there's last podcast on the left, who I shout out many times over, did an amazing three-part podcast on Carl Panzeram, and it is like incredible. I mean, it's so fucking detailed, like way more than we could have gone into, but um, I digress. I just <laughs> wanted to give shout outs to the people that I could give credit to because we had so much information on this guy. And I'll I'll go into quickly why we did is because he wrote basically his own autobiography that a prison guard was able to get published. Um, and we'll go into detail about that later. But this is the first time you're actually able to get an accurate firsthand account from a serial killer that's not dramatized in any way. Most, if not all of the stories have been corroborated and uh, it's a firsthand account of his actual life, his murders, his crimes, and everything that he did from him. So, yep. Yeah. Which is really cool because, you know, really, if we didn't have this, we wouldn't know shit about him much. Especially a lot of early, early, earlier serial killers. Like, I mean, in the age of like, we've done, this is why I wanted to do one even earlier, like early 1900s, because in the age of, by the time we got to Bundy and got even Dahmer, you know, in the 90s, TV and even by Dahmer, internet started to become more popular so they could be on camera and get more of that attention out there about the crimes that they committed and things that they did back in this time with Carl Panzeram that you didn't have, I mean, you had newspapers, but you wouldn't have had anybody that would have been interested in a story like this at this time. So for him to actually be able to write a firsthand account of not only his life, but his crimes was almost unthought of, unheard of in this time. So this is, yeah, shout out to Henry Lesser. We'll get more into that guy, but like we owe him a real debt of gratitude for being able to get all the information about Carl Panzeram that we know today, so... Thanks, Mr. Lesser. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so uh, we'll get right into basically his early life. We'll start off with uh, the beginning. Uh, he was born in East Grand Forks, Minnesota. He was the son of Johan, which he also went by John, and Matilda Pansram. He was raised on his family farm with five siblings. I believe, what was it, four brothers and a sister? Right. Um, by the age of five or six, he was a liar and a thief. And in 1899, he was in juvenile court on a charge of being drunk and disorderly. So can we just talk about the fact that he was seven? <laughs> yeah, around seven he or eight was years old. when seven he Seven years old. Seven. Yeah, I think, actually, I think it might have been eight. Because he, he was, was born was... in 1892, so it would have been eight years old. Yeah. Yeah, he was eight years old when he was arrested for public intoxication. So, you know, because that's what you do when you're eight years old. <laughs> you get drunk and disorderly, and then you get arrested. Directed. Then you get arrested. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if you knew this, but he underwent an ear surgery mm -hmm. at a young age that was actually botched. Um, his family were essentially dirt farmers. They had nothing, and the surgery was performed at home. It was not done in a hospital setting at all, and uh, they think that maybe when they cracked something in his ear canal that that did something to his brain because even he, by his own account, some of his earliest memories following that surgery 
he himself said he just became very vengeful and hateful and just really didn't care about anything. So I guess that's why, like, you know, eight, I'm going to drink. And then by 11, I'm stealing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> stealing. He stole. So he actually went to his neighbors and stole cake, apples, and a revolver. Right. So if you think about it, though, if a kid's not raised right, they're going to do stuff like right. that. That's, that's normal child behavior. But because he did that, his parents actually sent him to Minnesota State Training School um, October of 1903, which that place is the place that really fucked him up. Um, he was repeatedly beaten, tortured, and raped by staff members in what they called the painting house. And it was called the painting house because he, he basically said in his own words, it was like painting them black and blue, which obviously meant that they were beat in that house. Um, he actually decided to burn it down himself on July 7th of 1905. And then um, in 1906, he was reported to be paroled from the Wed Ring, Wed Wing. I'm ca- I can't today. Red Wing Training School after stealing money from his mother's pocketbook. By his teens, he was an alcoholic and repeatedly in trouble with the authorities for burglary and theft. I mean, hell, this guy even for a job when they or for um when they asked him what his occupation was, he said he was a thief. <laughs> it was the only occupation he ever knew. I mean, you got to think. If there was any truth to this ear surgery having an issue with his brain, that could be very well one thing. And then the other part of it, too, is you're literally, and no pun intended, but dirt poor. His mm-hmm. parents were dirt farmers. Like, they were... They raised dirt. You know, they literally, <laughs> like, had nothing. So <laughs> he didn't want to... He wasn't about that life. He's like... If I have to steal and kill kill to get what I want, that's going to steal and, and kill. kill. <laughs> I'm going to steal and kill. We just became vampires. Oh steal and kill that and suck your blood. <laughs> oh my god. That was terrible. I did not mean for that accent to come out. <laughs> steal um, and kill. I'm going to steal and kill for your blood. Um, this is actually really sad, though, because when he was 14 and he... Um, got, he ran away from home. He actually was, um, getting on a train and he got gang raped by a group of men. And I, I think that was another reason that. Well, actually prior to that. So when he was in Red Wing, the Minnesota state school, which actually still to this day is still open. Um, it's better today though. Yeah. It's much, much, yeah, much, much more much regulated. You know, guys, you're talking, this was hundred years ago. Yeah. Um, seriously. So he went, he was there and then got out and then he went back and he burned down the painting house and then he got paroled and then ended up back there after stealing from his mom. Um, he was told then that one of the best ways he could get out is by accepting God. So he actually was training to become a Lutheran preacher well, this Lutheran preacher would also beat these boys that were in the monastery that were training to become preach, you know, preachers themselves. Well, he actually beat up the preacher who was training him, 
because he was just sick of all the violence that he was having from him. And even from then, there's quite a few quotes where he absolutely did not believe in God, did not believe in religion. You know, he felt like God was beat into him when he not only was at this reform school, but then was training himself to be this cleric in this monastery. So he beat up this preacher, left, stole from the church, and decided he was going to become a hobo. And then from there, decides to ride the rails. And as Casper stated, was severely gang raped uh it actually happened to him twice in the course of several months that he was gang raped by a group of hobos when he was a very very young boy um so. i'm gonna read a quote that he had right after he got out of the minnesota um <clears throat> he said after serving about two years there i was pronounced by the parole board to be a nice clean boy of good morals as pure as lily and a credit to those in authority and in the inst- institution that's supposed to be institution where i had been sent to the reformed yes sure i was reformed all right damn good and reformed too when i got out of there i knew all about jesus and the bible so much that i knew it was all a lot of hot air but that wasn't all i knew i had been taught by the christians how to be a hypocrite and i had learned more about stealing lying hating burning and killing i had learned that a boy's penis could be used for something other besides to your for something besides to urinate with and that a rectum could be used for other purposes than crepitating oh yes i had learned a hell of a lot from my expert instructors furnished to me free of charge by society in general and the state of minnesota in particular from the treatment i received while there and the lessons i learned from it i had fully decided when i left there just how i would live my life I made up my mind that I would rob, burn, destroy, and kill everywhere I went, everybody as I could as long as I lived. That's the way I was reformed in the Minnesota State Training School. That's the reasons why. Whew. Yeah, this guy had no love from his parents, no love from the time he was a child, is put into this horrible, horrible school where he's beaten and raped and tortured repeatedly, beaten by a preacher, and then beaten and raped when he's a very young boy by hobos. Like, like I said, this is someone who literally had no hope of ever becoming any type of normal member of society, just as the quote that Casper read, he was out to show the world his vengeance for what happened to him and he did it didn't didn't take long so um did you want me to continue on no i can't yeah go ahead so in 1907 at the age of 15 after getting drunk in a saloon in montana so he actually ran into somebody who was enlisting people in the army while he was getting drunk at 15 because again that's what you do (laughs) he enlisted in the u.s army Shortly thereafter, he was convicted of larceny and served a prison sentence from 1908 to 1910 at Fort Leavenworth's United States Disciplinary Barracks. Then Secretary of War William William Haft, William Howard Taft, approved the sentence. Keep that name in mind, guys. William Howard Taft will will re-enter the story later. Pandram later claimed that any goodness left in him was smashed out during his Leavenworth imprisonment. After his release and dishonorable discharge, Panzram received resumed his career as a thief. Just resumed oh, it. Real quick, um when he mentioned about his stay at Leavenworth, um, there was something that happened to him when he was there. Um he during the two years that he was there, that he was just he was beaten mercilessly 
at this prison, but not only beaten mercilessly, um, because it was known that he was a sodomite, he was forcibly circumcised. It was thought that the circumcision would somehow strike that impulse out of him to want to rape, but the circumcision does nothing to doesn't really do anything. We're, you know, we're not cats. Have, we're not dogs. Yeah, like. you're still able to have sex <laughs> afterwards. So if he was going to rape, he was still able to do it. The circumcision obviously did nothing to stop to stop that impulse, and it did nothing to stop that want for him to do that for the ultimate control. Because, like we said, nothing about him doing that was sexual. It was purely for dominance. It was done to him at a young age when he was defenseless. So if he could do it against other boys or young men that were defenseless then that's what he did because he knew they would be scared to death of him and nobody would fuck with him because you, yeah, you don't with fuck him, with pans this guy's gonna rape you <laughs> and probably beat you to death but um, actually by then he hadn't killed anybody i think mm. it was rumored that he may have killed one of the boys at the reform school in red wing minnesota that was but never that was never ever actually proven so by this time he actually never had murdered anybody um and just to throw this out there, I believe, if I'm correct, the number of times he was in and out of prison was nine. Yeah. Um, so after he was released is it at a dishonorable discharge, he resumed his career as a thief, stealing anything from bicycles to yachts. He was caught in prison multiple times. He served time under his own name in various alias, a, aliases in California, Texas, Oregon, Idaho, and Montana. The boy gets around. Because <laughs> not only is he in all these different states, but he went by different names, such as Jeff Davis, Jefferson Rhodes, Jefferson Baldwin, John O'Leary, which was the big one. Um, Jeff Baldwin and John O'Leary. So he he didn't actually use his real name until he was in. The oh, there were several the, other ones: Carl Baldwin, Harry Panzeram, John King, Cooper John, and Teddy Bedard were several other ones that he used. Bedard. He got, yeah, this guy used as many names as he could come up with, apparently. Bedard was clearly Bedard. made up. Bedard. Um, while incarcerated, Panzerim frequently attacked officers and refused to follow orders, and the officers retaliated, subjecting him to beatings and other punishments. So it never really went good for him. Every time he would be in a prison, he would get the shit beat out of him because he wouldn't comply to what the officer officer said this man did not want to be told what to do no nope, matter what not he, at all. he wanted to be in control and there was He'd... no reform in prisons then at all not much apparently happens now but we're not even going to go into that but back then <laughs> definitely not and you were beaten if you did not comply beaten we're not talking like a little snap smack on the hand or a little spanking i'm talking like you were beat you were um, strapped or handcuffed and just, yeah, beaten until you were black and blue. Well, they Not described to what um, happened to him when he was a boy in the paint house. They described one of his beatings where they would hang him. Yeah. In a, like, what was from it? From a beam. From he was a beam. Tied to a beam, tied and hung up from a beam and beaten. For yep. 20 hours in the span of two days. Yep. He was beaten while hanging. Like, not actually by his neck, obviously, because yeah, that would this kill comes, him. This comes next when he's right. in Oregon. Yeah. So, um, he wrote that he was rage personified and that he would often rape men who he had robbed. 
He was noted for his large stature, great physical strength due to years of hard labor at Leavenworth and other prisons, which is another thing. They kept working him and beating him and only made him stronger. It only made him meaner, basically. Well, he had been worked even from the time he was a little boy. I mean, he was told that he had stated himself that from the time he was a little boy that he was born cattle. That he felt like he was just born and bred to work. So from the time... According to him, from the time he was even able to walk, he worked on that farm and then grew up working and still doing nothing but working. And then also by the time he was in the prisons, you're working to become stronger to again to overcome and dominate. So like I mentioned earlier, he was six foot, 200 pounds. He was a huge guy, so he could definitely overpower anybody. Um, so... I'm trying to find... I'm sorry. I lost my place. Mm. Oh, you're cool. <laughs> this part here. So, um... Yeah. So, basically, uh, he did claim in his autobiography that after he served a short sentence in Texas, he went to Juarez, Mexico in the winter of 1910 to try to enlist in the Federal Mexican Army. He left on a train for Del Rio, Texas, and got off in a small town 50 to 100 miles of, east of El Paso. Where about a mile south of that town, he claimed to have assault, abducted, assaulted, kicked, and strangled a man and stole $35 from the victim. Which back then is what? Probably like 100-ish? I would say around that time. <clears throat> yeah, it was in the evening post of the El Paso newspaper on January 2nd, 1929, about this um, assault and abduction. Um, but officials were never able to confirm this specific claim that it was Panzeram. I mean, he confessed to it and said it was him, but there was no evidence to, to back, that, back up. that up. In the summer of 1911, Panzeram, at this time, a.k.a. Jefferson Davis, was arrested in Fresno, California for stealing a bike. <laughs> I feel like this day and age, you steal a bike. Are you going to get arrested for stealing a bike? It's just kind of like a shit out of luck. I feel like if someone steals your bike. Oh my God. I mean, let's <laughs> CCTVs around, CCTV, you know, right? closed caption cameras around everywhere. Um, he was sentenced to six months in county jail, but escaped after 30 days. This guy was an escape artist. He always figured out how to get out. Um, in 1913, when he went by Jack Allen, he was arrested in the Dallas, in the Dallas, Oregon, for highway robbery, assault, and sodomy. He broke out of jail after two to three months. While he was on the run, he used the alias Jeff Davis. He was arrested in Harrison, Idaho, but again, he escaped from county jail. He was arrested in Chinhook, Montana, under the alias Jefferson Davis, sentenced to one year for burglary to be served at the Montana State Prison. On April 27, 1913, my birthday, <laughs> right? Pansram. At this point, Again, Jefferson, Jefferson Davis, Davis was admitted to state prison, Deer Lodge, Montana. He escaped on November 13, 1913. Within a week, he was arrested as Jeff Rhodes in Three Forks, Montana for burglary and returned to Deer Lodge for an additional year and then released on March 3rd, 1915. See, he just keeps getting caught, though. That's his freaking problem. Like, It was kind of like Bundy with his cars. Escape. He couldn't drive, so he I kept mean, getting caught. This guy was a terrible fucking thief because every <laughs> time he would burglarize, he would end up getting fucking caught. So it's just like, yeah, you could get out and escape. and But, you know, and also, again, guys, this time it was really fucking easy to use aliases. I mean, you, it's kind of like you, didn't you, have to you have were who you said you were. Yeah, you didn't have to have an ID or anything like that. You just said a name and that's who the fuck you were. Like, 
It's no wonder they came out with IDs. Right. That was it. I mean, there was no <laughs> other way of telling who was who because you could just say whoever the fuck you were. Uh, June 1st, 1915, he burglarized a house in uh, Astoria, Oregon, but was arrested soon after while attempting to sell some stolen items. Items. So you're you're going to steal and then you're going to sell the stolen items. Yeah, Not smart. how that works. He was sentenced to seven years in prison to be served at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. Oregon. Funny. I know, but still. It was Oregon, but he it was liked still Salem. Salem though, he right? liked the Salem. I'm surprised he didn't hit up Salem, Indiana while he was at it. Right. Where <laughs> all the Salem. <laughs> where he arrived on June twenty fourth. Warden Harry Mento believed in harsh treatment of inmates, including beatings and isolation, among other discipl- disciplinary measures. Yeah, this is the one where he was kept in solitary confinement for over two months. Mm-hmm. And in that time he was kept in solitary confinement, he was hung up and beaten. Yeah, this this warden was piece of shit. Yeah, for real. Because even though he did some fucked up things, he did these fucked up things because of the fucked up things that were done to him. It was a product of his environment, for sure. And, and, you know, you can't say, blame it all on the environment. Because, of course, you know, there are people that grow up in shitty environments and that turn out to be really, really good people. It's, it's how you decide. You decide either to take that and turn it into, I don't want to be this... Or you take it and do exactly what he did, which was, I'm going to be the worst of the worst, and I'm going to get revenge on everybody, even if they didn't do it to me, kind of thing. Um, He swore he would never do that. He he swore he would never do the full seven years. I defied the warden and all his officers to make me. Later that year, he helped fellow inmate Otto Hooker escape from prison. While attempting to evade recapture, Hooker killed Minto marking Panzerheim's first known involvement in a murder as an accessory before the fact. Right. So he didn't actually kill Mento. Hooker did, but he would have been considered an accessory. Um, In his prison record, he falsely gave his age as 30, and his place of birth is Alabama. The one true bit of autobiography he did give was his occupation thief. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The only thing he was sort of semi-good at... Um, he was disciplined several times while at Salem, including 61 days in solitary confinement, which Becky just mentioned, uh, before escaping on September 18th of 1917. After two shootouts, he was recaptured and returned to prison. On May 12th, 1918, he escaped once again by sawing through the bars of his cell because someone gave the motherfucker a hacksaw. Mm-hmm. Because that's what you do. When just lying around... <laughs> Oh, hey, look, a hacksaw. Oh, wait, you look like a nice man. There you go. (laughs) Or I'll just leave this and wink, wink, turn my back and... (laughs) Oh, look! Just the slip. (laughs) I dropped this. (laughs) Is this yours? No! (laughs) He began going by the name John O'Leary, shaved off his mustache, and would never return to the Northwest. Probably a good idea he didn't. Uh, yeah. That mustache was not becoming. Yeah, he got as far away from Oregon and any part of that part of the country. I was actually about to say mustaches kind of make certain men look like pedophiles. And I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> he kind of was. He kind of was. <laughs> So in August of 1920, Panzeram. Okay, so this is when we get to coming back to William William Taft. Yep. And here's the thing: I don't think that he knew that this was William Taft's house. I think he just kind of saw it and was like, "Ooh, 
this house looks nice. It looks like I can get all the money from here. So he burglarized William Taft's mansion. Um, yeah, this would have been after he was president. And right. I don't I don't think, I think like you, I feel the same. I think by the time this happened in Connecticut and New Haven, Connecticut, and by the time, I don't think he realized that it was Taft's house until he stole the war bonds. And you got to think about it too, because Taft was the one that signed off on his um, punishment to be put into the, uh, the barracks when he was yeah. in the army. Yeah. So, which is, it's just kind of funny how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take my revenge on this he, guy. And then he probably realized who it was, and then he was like, oh shit, yeah, like, take everything. Took a whole bunch of jewelry, the war bonds, and his gun. Of course he took it. He then began a murder spree that spanned eight years in multiple countries. Oh, he was literally just, he was raping everybody out here. <laughs> <laughs> hide your kids, hide your wives, hide, hide your, your husbands, and hide your husbands. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, not hide your wives, because he didn't rape women, he no. just raped men. Hide your kids and hide your husband. Because ra- he raping everybody. Panzeran was raping everybody. Literally. You don't have to come and confess, but we're looking for you. We're going to find we gonna you. We're going to find you. We're going to find you. Running out of Oh, boy. That. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. No. People from that time would hear this shit. They'd turn over. Like, they'd be what? like, what the fuck? It's kind of like with me with teenagers now. I'm like, I don't even know what you're saying. Are you speaking English? Oh my God. They literally all sound like, okay, so I told you I'm 35. They all sound like the teacher from Peanuts. Just like there's no, there's no verbiage that comes out of their mouth holes. It's just nothing. How dare you sing? You're bae. It's lit. <laughs> hey, I use lit. Hey, I use lit too. I use lit. Okay. I shouldn't say that. I, I actually use fam. Like I actually use fam too. I, use I don't use bay. Bay is Danish for poop. For yep, those of when you I don't found know. that shit out, I'm like, stop it. Stop calling the people you love poop. It's like, hey, poop, how you doing? Stop calling everything poop. Bay. I mean, I know bay means um, what is it? Babe above everything. That's I don't even know. Cause it b a e. It's like. Babe above everything. I literally just found out what oh. outfit of the day was on. I was like, what is OOTD? <laughs> I would have been like, other people order our patties. Poop. <laughs> That's where I go with that. But I'm like, I don't understand these hashtags. God, and I thought I abbreviated when I was a teenager. Good Jesus Christ. Not like this. I don't no, understand. No, I used to call my parents the rents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my mom was always like, who's the rent? Did you also say, what's the 411? <laughs> I don't need you to talk about my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you to talk about my life in that derogatory manner. <laughs> What's the cool jams? Give me the 411. Oh my god, I literally cannot. <laughs> I broke her. I think I broke her with that. Guys, we all had our slang when we were teenagers. And oh, wow, boy, did we. Most of my slang was um, just abbreviating words. That was most, like, in texting, because we thought we were the cool kids, because we would abbreviate while we were texting. I used to say cool beans a lot. Cool beans. It's groovy. <gasps> yeah, I used to say that a lot too. Uh-uh. I never nope. said groovy. Nope. 
Now I'm just like, that's cool as shit. Or I used to try to say like really big words because I thought I was so smart. I would say like loquacious and like, it's a word. Look it up. I'm sure it is. Uh, yeah, I went through like a phase like that where like every big word I could say. Super califragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> Mark in a sentence. <laughs> All right. Anyway, oh, so he at least stole, they pretty much figured out he stole about $3,000 worth of things from him. Now, in today's day and age, that's about $40,000 worth. Um, yeah, or more. With the money that he stole, he bought a yacht called the Aquista. He lured sailors away from New York City. He, I'm sorry. He lured sailors away from New York City bars, got them drunk, raped them, and shot them with Taft's pistol then dumped their bodies near Execution Rock's light in Long Island Sound. He claimed to have killed 10 in all. Yep. The sailor murders ended only after the Aquista ran aground and sank near the Atlantic City. He His last two potential victims escaped to parts unknown. They probably get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I'm not even... Yeah, fuck this dude. <laughs> after going through that shit. On October 26, 1920, Panzeram, at this point, John O'Leary, was arrested in Stamford, Connecticut for burglary and possession of a loaded handgun. In 1921, he served six months in jail in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Panzeram then caught a ship to Africa and landed... You know what's funny, though? If he... Of course, then again, he's not getting arrested for murder. He's getting arrested for burglary. Yeah, he never stood trial for any murders until yeah. much, much, much later. These were all for just... Because I'm like, why didn't they keep him in jail longer? And then I'm like, oh, well, technically it was just theft. And and he was always using aliases, too. So He then caught a ship to Africa and landed in Luanda, Portuguese, Angola. Yeah, it's in West Africa, Portuguese West Africa. Yes. (laughs) I, like, literally had to look that up. I was like, whoa, I know nothing about geography. Uh, Oh, that's where where that is. is. I do know where Africa is. And I at least know where West is. West Africa. Great. There it is. In 1921, Panzerim was foreman of an oil rig in Angola, Africa. He later burned the rig down out of sheer meanness. He later claimed that while there, he raped and killed an 11 or 12-year-old boy. In his confession to his murder, he wrote, His brains were coming out of his ears when I left him, and he will never be any debtor. That's nice. He also claimed that he hired a boat with six rowers, shot the rowers with a German Luger pistol, and threw their bodies to the crocodiles. Yeah, he told them that he was going crocodile hunting. All right, well, crikey! Look at the size of that beast! Yeah, yeah. let me go crocodile hunting with this strange white guy. Like, and I... No. Like, (laughs) why? (laughs) No, no. After returning to the U.S., Panzerim asserted that he raped and killed two small boys, beating one to death with a rock on July 18th, 1922 in Salem, Massachusetts, and strangling the other one later that year in New Haven. Now, the one that happened in Salem, we actually, uh, Dr. Vidka told us about that while he was giving us the tour. Yeah, we were standing not, but down the street, streets away from where the actual murder happened. Um... So, basically, at this time, there was something that was very common in the 1900s called uh, yeds. These were basically men that were travelers and beggars that would basically hire young boys um, because they were smaller, had smaller hands. uh, People didn't expect them as much. They could get 
slip in and out of places a lot easier. Uh, these They were called yegs. It was a slang term back in the 1900s, and these yegs would use these long, young boys to hire them to, to steal for them, basically. And uh, again, like I said, because they could just they weren't as suspecting to people and they could get in and out of places easier because they were smaller and smaller hands. Well, usually most of the time, like basically what Panzeram did is that most of these boys got into essentially what would we know more now is like child sex trafficking. That's what happened to a lot of these boys. And uh, essentially that's what Panzeram was, was a yeg. And uh, when he got back to the U.S. after he left Africa, he hired these two boys to come with him um, cause he had arrived in New York and he hired these two boys to come with him. And, uh, essentially he just didn't want to have to deal with having them around anymore. So by the time he got to Salem in July of 1922, he, uh, raped and strangled the, or actually no, in Salem, he raped the young boy and then beat him over the head with a rock. And then when he was in New Haven, Connecticut, he raped and strangled the other young boy. Um, the one in Salem, Massachusetts was later identified as Henry uh, McMahon. And um, the little boy in New Haven, um, Connecticut, was apparently 16 years old. And he was either the son or the nephew of a Brooklyn, New York uh, policeman. His remains were not found until about August 10th of 1923 after he was murdered. Um, the crime scene was completely consistent with Panzeram's description. Um, they stated that they were able to corroborate, they were actually able to corroborate his story by 1928. So this was two years, this would have been five years after the murder and two years before he was executed that they were actually able to trace back that he actually had murdered this boy um, in New Haven, Connecticut, because he was able to describe the crime scene in perfect detail of what happened. He did it. Yeah. And <sighs> he remembered all of them. I mean, that, that autobiography that he detailed later on, I mean, he went into detail, gruesome detail with every single one. He remembered every single sodomy and every single murder. He did. Makes sense for somebody who's obsessed with power though. Yep. You're going to remember those things. It's like your trophies basically. Pretty much. Uh, so June 29th, 1923, um, Panzeram, John O'Leary, was arrested in Nyack, New York. Whew, say that three times fast. July 9th, 1920. We actually drove through Nyack, New York, of all things. Yeah. How about that? We couldn't see shit, but we did. Yeah, that was terrible. Couldn't see a goddamn <laughs> thing on the way back, but, uh. On July 9th, 1923, Panzeram tried to escape from jail. He later conned his lawyer by giving him ownership of a stolen boat in return for bail money. Panzeram skipped bail on the boat, and the boat was confiscated by the police. On tw August 26, 1923, Panzeram again, using the alias John O'Leary, was arrested in Larchmont, New York, after breaking into a train depot. He was sentenced to five years imprisonment while county jail. While in county jail, he confessed to being Jeff Baldwin wanted in Oregon. On October 23rd, Panzeram was imprisoned at Clinton Prison in Dannemore, New York. He was discharged in July of 1928. He's alleged to have committed a murder in Baltimore, Maryland in the summer of 1928. So, this man is just like, he was arrested. He was 
escaped. He was arrested. He escaped. He was arrested. He escaped. He was a terrible fucking thief. <laughs> That's for goddamn sure. He was a terrible thief and a great escape artist. Well, until this final one. Yeah. Until yeah, he was just like, let me tell where, you everything This I've is done. where we're getting to where it's like, oh, we're done. You're done, son. It's over. <laughs> Doing swim. On August 30th, 1928, Pandram was arrested in Baltimore, Maryland for a Washington, D.C. Burglary, burglary, stealing a radio and jewelry from the home of a dentist. Excuse me. During his interrogation, he voluntarily confessed to killing three young boys, one in Salem, one in Connecticut, and a third in Philadelphia. I'm sorry, let me say that. Salem, Massachusetts, one in Connecticut, and a third in Philadelphia, because he skips some Salems. Right. <laughs> The 1928 Philadelphia victim was identified as Alexander Lazak, a 14-year-old newsboy. Pandram later wrote that he had also contemplated mass killings and other acts of mayhem, such as poisoning a city's water supply with arsenic or scuttling a British warship in the New York Harbor to provoke a war between the U.S. and the U.K. Yeah, that's actually why he wanted to join the Army so bad both times, the U.S. Army and when he went down to Mexico, because essentially that was his goal, is that he wanted to just bomb the fuck out of as many countries as he could or start wars between countries so that he could see mass murders. This is how much he hated people and just wanted to see large groups of people die and he wanted to be responsible for it. I did want to go back and read this quote. Um, This is probably one of his most well-known quotes. And, um, excuse me, he says, these two experiences taught me several lessons. This is going back to when he was um, raped and um, basically beaten in the quote-unquote school. Right. Uh, These two experiences taught me several lessons, lessons that I have never forgotten. I did not want to learn these lessons, but I found out that it it isn't what one wants in this world that one gets. Force and might makes right. Perhaps things shouldn't be that way, but that's the way they are. I learned to look with suspicion and hatred on everybody. As the years went on, that idea, as the years went on, that idea persisted in my mind above all others. I figured if I was strong enough and clever enough to impose my will on others, I was right. I still believe that to this day. Another lesson I learned at the time was that there were a lot of very nice things in this world. Among them were whiskey and sodomy, but it depended on who and how they were used. I have used plenty of both since then, but I have received more pleasure of them since than I did at those first times. Those were the days when I was learning the lessons that life teaches us all, and they made me what I am today. Whiskey and sodomy are that was the one of nicest most, things in the world. That was one of his most well-known, the whole whiskey and sodomy thing oh was, a, was, a, <laughs> was a big one. I'm still down for that tattoo, Dr. Vitka, if you are. Um, he did, another one that he said was, I don't believe in man, God, nor devil. I hate the whole damned human race, including myself. I preyed upon the weak, the harmless, and the unsuspecting. This lesson I was taught by others. Might makes right. I have no desire whatever, whatsoever to reform myself. My only desire is to reform people who try to reform me. And I believe that the only way to reform people is to kill them. Yeah, when he ended up in um, this last arrest that happened to him when he confessed to the murder of the three boys and was sentenced to 25 years to life, uh, when he was in Leavenworth and ended up 
warning the warden that he'll kill the first man that bothers him. He did on June 20th, 1929. He killed the prison laundry foreman, Robert Warnke, beat him to death with an iron bar and ended up being sentenced to death. Um, At this point, he was like, yay. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much this was his form of suicide. Being on death row was his form of suicide because as much as he hated the world, he hated himself just as much. And uh, he refused to allow any appeals, uh, any death penalty opponents or human rights act activists, he wrote to them, quote, the only thanks you and your kind will ever get from me is your efforts on my behalf that I wish you all had one neck and I could put my hands on it. Woo. Yeah. He wanted no sympathy, no stay of execution. He wanted to get it done and over with. He was, he was sick of it. He wanted nothing to do with it. Um, but while he was on death row, he ended up befriend- befriending uh, Henry Lesser that we mentioned he was a uh, prison guard at the time. He was 27 years old when he met Henry. Um, they met, I'm sorry, when Henry met Carl, Henry was 27. Uh, out of After one of the many beatings that he suffered when he was in prison, um, Henry gave, he took pity on Carl and gave him a dollar to buy some cigarettes and food at the commissary. And Carl said at that point that that was the nicest that anyone had ever been to him is in his entire life. He literally thought somebody, he he was like, someone's fucking with me. What am I going to get a beating for this dollar? Am I going to get like, yeah. Like he thought Henry, he thought Henry was going to beat him. And he said, you know, bring it on. Like he was ready to, to fight him because, um, actually there was something that happened prior to him, one of the prison attempts that we skipped over where um, this was when he escaped the prison in Oregon state um, where it was uh, Harry Minto was the warden that was killed by Otto Hooker during the prison escape. Um, when Panzeram sawed through the prison bars and jumped out of the window, he actually broke both of his legs at the time. So he, you guys have to remember, he was kept in solitary confinement for two months straight, where pretty much your body deteriorates to nothing. You have no sunlight, no proper food, and he was also beaten and tortured during this time. He jumps out of this window, breaks both of his legs in an already weakened state, and his back is fractured. So he could barely walk. And he ran the entire time. So his body was already pretty badly beaten and broken by the time he made it in and out of various prisons. So you got to think there was so much hatred running through this guy that even after sustaining all of these broken bones and damages, he was able to set his own legs and still able to take on whomever wanted to take him on. He would fight back every single time the guards would try to fight at him until they just got him down to where he couldn't anymore and strung him up and beat him. So I'm sensing the first a new time, um, shirt that says "Don't fuck with Panzeram." Right, exactly. Like our "Don't fuck with the original." Don't fuck with Panzeram. I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> but that's why he thought Henry was just jiving him. He didn't think any of it was real because nobody had ever been nice to him, let alone Dad, a prison guy, prison guard. Yeah, I I'm use so that sorry. reference a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. If people don't know what jiving somebody is, it's giving them a load of bullshit. It's lying to them. If you didn't know, which is a very old reference because I'm an old soul. Um, If you don't know the song I was singing either, then you need to... Yeah, we're definitely... I'm not even going to go there if you don't know that song. I feel feel very sorry for you and your musical taste. Um, 
he started to open up to Henry. He basically started to tell him about every single one of his crimes. Again, like we mentioned, in the most gruesome detail, because he remembered every single one. And Henry broke every rule possible and smuggled in uh, paper and pencil. And that's when Carl wrote his autobiography, essentially. Um, so we thank you, Mr. All Lesser. the information we have today about him. Uh, Henry Lesser did unfortunately die in 1983 in October. Um, at his last known residence, uh, in, I believe in LA, but, um, yeah, he started off in the very first statement of his autobiography by saying in my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I've committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, arsons, and last but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than 1000 male human beings. And for all these things, I am not the least bit sorry. Now, uh, taking some that of the arsons, he was yeah. actually sorry for two things. Oh, that's right. He was only sorry for two things. I am sorry I've mistreated animals, a few animals in my lifetime, right. and I'm sorry I'm unable to murder the whole damned human race. So at least he liked animals. I guess the animals never did anything wrong to him, ever. He was very natured, though. He loved nature. He li- He seemed like he liked nature. Yeah. People wronged him, though. Yeah. Animals didn't. So he had every reason to hate people because people did nothing but wrong him. Like he said, the only person that ever showed him kindness was Henry Lesser. Um, it should also be noted, too, that of all the arsons that when he said he committed arsons, uh, the majority of those arsons would not only be places that he would rob, he would uh, burn down a lot of churches. I think, again, this was just another to get back at the whole religion and what happened to him as a child. He would rob a variety of different churches along the way. Cause it's, you know, churches are unlocked and he would just walk right in, rob them and then set them on fire. But he would do that to several different places. He would rob just to usually cover up the crime. He would set the place on fire. Yeah. He, um, that's actually really sad that he's the only guy who showed him kindness. Like, that's... A young 26, 27-year-old prison guard. I understand you're in prison. pity on for, him. For, for, so, from other people's point of view, though, you're looking at this guy who's basically on the end for burglary. Why would you treat someone like that? Anyway. You know? I mean, he did deserve what happened to him, but... At the same time, you have to look at why he did that shit. We don't know, but the but, thing is, it's, yeah. It, it's all a bunch of fuckers. We don't know, we don't know, we didn't know then what we know now. Right. You know, would would there have been, there's no way that Carl Panzeram would have gotten the type of abuse and neglect at a reform school and prisons now. I mean, if if he was a kid that was acting out now, he would have been sent to special schools and therapies. And I mean, there would have been all types of things afforded. And I'm not saying every kid that gets those, you know, we still have school shootings and things like that to this day where kids may still be afforded help and either get it or don't and still commit terrible acts. But to say this, I definitely think Carl Panzeram wouldn't be the person that he would be today that he was then because there would have, we, we would know more of how to handle, you know, to take care of that type of problem. If he would have showed any type of behavioral issues at a young age, you would have been able to correct that then. Well, they and, don't beat the shit out of shit out of them anymore. Right, either. right. You don't, and it's always been wrong to do that. But 
unfortunately, that was more commonplace then. And I'm sure, I'm sure that, you know, I just don't think many are known as Carl Panzeram was, because again, like we said, he was actually able to write a firsthand account of his life. But how many of those other kids from schools like that do we know didn't turn out to just be total psychopaths? We don't how know. Many, how do we know that there weren't other Carl Panzerams, you know? Or just serial murders to begin with that came from that same fucking school or schools just like that. You have no idea. Nope. Especially after they've been treated like shit like right. that. You, that does something to a person. And like I said, it's a choice. You can either choose to be like, you know, I don't want to be like that. I want to be different. Or you can choose to do what he did, which was revenge. Just straight up revenge. Right. So he was hanged on September 5th of 1930. Um, officers attempted to place a black hood over his head. He allegedly spat in the executioner's face when asked for any last words, which I would like to say this has not been solidified. They don't actually know what he said, but, um, this was, this has been the most common thing that people have said is yeah, that apparently it was over prisoners could hear from the yard from where he was hung. So this was apparently from what a prisoner heard from a window from where he was hung is where this quote came from. Uh, Hurry it up, you hooser bastard. I could kill a dozen men while you're screwing around. And he was hung, and then his grave at Leavenworth Penitentiary Cemetery is marked only with his present number because the body was not claimed from next of kin, so they just buried him there, and it's only marked by his present number. Yeah, I'm sure it's safe to say that none of his family had much to do with him at all after anything. Right. So, I mean, we really don't hear any mention of his family prior to the Minnesota training school in Red Wing. You know, he stole from his mom. She threw him back in there again, and then we hear nothing else from his family. I Yeah, I doubt he wanted anything to do with his family. It was probably mutual on both sides. Yeah. Um, the uh, autobiography that uh, he essentially wrote um, after meeting Henry Lesser, uh, I think the actual the actual papers themselves are in the archives of a uh, college. Correct? Yeah, San yes. Diego State yep. University. Um, they're called the uh, Carl Panzeram Papers. Uh, Lesser donated them to the university just a few years prior to his death. Um, yeah, if you go there, that you can actually see the original papers. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. To me. Um, and then in 1970, uh, there was... The letters in the uh, autobiographical manuscript were published into a book called Killer, A Journal of Murder. Um, yeah, and that right there, best known account of everything about him and everything he did. Um, and then of course those papers were later adapted into the, uh, as we mentioned, where we got a plethora of our information was the amazing documentary by John Borowski. So the documentary came out in 2012 um, you actually get to see there was uh, the papers were actually filmed during the documentary. So you do get to see them in the documentary. It's available on uh, Amazon Prime if anybody wants to watch it. Uh, again, it's called Carl Panzeram, The Spirit of Hatred and Vengeance. Um, I highly if there's 
any two references I could suggest, guys, um, if there's any information more that you feel like we didn't span in this time. Uh, the last podcast on the left uh, episodes about Carl Panzerim are amazing. And this documentary on Amazon Prime by John Borowski is just phenomenal. Um, I actually want to give a shout out to um, these guys I listen to called True, True Crime Guys. Uh, they have a YouTube video doc or uh, podcast basically on Carl Panzram, and the, it's it's fantastic. It's about an hour and a half, and uh, they're just called News and Politics True Crime True Crime Guys episode number eight. Carl Panzram. I listened to them a couple days ago, and they have a fantastic um, one as well. So give them a give them a listen as well. Besides last podcast on the left for sure. Yeah. Yep. 271 through episode 273 is the last podcast on the left. And again, shout out to the uh, Snarled, S-N-A-R-L-E-D YouTube page with uh, Rachel, who did an amazing job in her video about, two-part video about Carl Panzeram. It was like some quick facts, great videos, really informative about him. Uh, yeah, so that's all we've got, guys. Unless there's anything else you had, Casper, about Mr. Um, Carl. I can read a couple more quotes of his. It, it's just so interesting to hear what he had to say, like himself. Like yeah, we hearing can, from his own We words. can go, you know, and talk about him. But it's it's neat to actually read what he himself has said. <clears throat> so I'm going to read a couple more of his own uh, writings. Yeah, and a lot of them are mentioned in the John Borowski documentary mm-hmm. too. Yep, and they the are. voice the voice if that's what if that's what Carl Panzeram sounded like in real life, holy shit, his voice is Ooh. Well his voice actually weirdly matches with his the picture. Yeah. So it whoever does. they decided to get to voice him, I forget his name. Um, John DiMaggio. He is also the voice of Bender from Futurama. I am sorry if that fucked with everybody, but it fucked with me too. So there you go. Take that Jesus with Christ <laughs> Take that with you next time you watch Futurama and bite my shiny metal hands. <laughs> um, let's see. If you or anyone else will take the trouble and have the intelligence and patience to follow and examine every one of my crimes and actions, you will find that I have consistently followed one idea throughout my life. I preyed upon the weak, the harmless, or unsuspecting. Those I have harmed were all either weaklings, either mentally or physically. Those who were strong in either mind or body, I first lied to and led into a trap where they were either asleep or drunk or helpless in some way. I always had all the best of it because I knew ahead of time just what to expect and the others did not. I therefore was strong in my knowledge and stronger in body than those preyed upon. This lesson I was taught by others. Might makes right. He said that a lot. The might makes right. Well, that was one of the first things that he was taught that he learned back when he was in the reform school. So, you know, he also did say at one point that he was the embodiment of meanness, like the actual uh, embodiment of that soul embodiment of evil. Yeah. He was Satan's spawn. Yeah. This guy was glad we could bring him to you though, guys. He was an extremely interesting character and he is one that, I am, 
I'm I was very happy to do a podcast episode about because I think he was just unlike anybody that we could ever do an episode about as far as just an extremely tragic literally from birth to death nothing but an absolutely horrible tragic life people beat the shit people just beat the shit out of them and raped so him turned and... around and beat the shit out of them and raped them and he's he's literally the product like you know how like people will like study the minds of serial killers and like all the things like that like he is the prime example of atmosphere and um what you're raised in turns you of what it turns you into and like i said it's still your choice. You don't have to be that way. But unfortunately, you know, right. when Nobody... it's just constant beatings and constant hate and constant, and you're, you're literally trained like that. It's right. kind of like you can't help it because you haven't seen what it feels like to love or anything like that. It's almost like you don't have a choice in his situation because it's like, what is even love at this point? Yeah. Because didn't he even say he had, he didn't, baby, baby don't, don't hurt me. me. Don't hurt me. No more. Sorry, I, I couldn't. I'm bam, 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 bam. <laughs> It's like people of this generation, though, are not going to know what that is, and I'm really sad. No! Oh my god, we had so many references where it's like those dumb 18-year-olds that we talked about earlier that shall not be named. Uh, they're going to be like, what? Jive. Is that an app? No. <laughs> Is that a new app that the little kids are using these days? Like Snapback or whatever the fuck. Snapchat. I don't know. I don't know. Snapback is a hat. I called it Snapback forever. I'm not even gonna lie. I'm so old. I'm sorry. We only have an eight year difference though. I'm, like, I in the middle of you and the teeny boppers, and I'm, like, I kind of get it on the teeny bopper side, but I'm also 80, so right. this is the confusing part. You're like, smack in the middle right there. <sighs> so, yeah, so, guys, that was, that was Mr. Penn's rim. Yes. That was Ooh. interesting, to say Yeah, we tried to keep that one really light, guys. That one's a... <sighs> Anytime we get heavy on these subject matters, I'm, like, we gotta keep it funny. A friend of mine yesterday was like, "You seem sad today," and I was like, "I'm about to do a try the true crime episode, so I'm maybe that's why I've been a bit of a bummer the last oh, right? couple fucking days. <laughs> My brain's just kind of been like, doo, 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 doo. well, researching <laughs> this guy and then watching a real. Oh, by the way, everybody watch Dark on Netflix. Did I you, have spoken. Did you, did you hear? <laughs> did you hear her though? Because I don't think you did. I don't think the neighbors even The either. spike in the fucking... Sorry if you're listening to this on AirPods. Sorry like, about your ears. Just, that just got really loud. I'm sorry. That sorry was about like, your ears. That was super serious, guys. So just do what I the say. super serious. And, uh, just do what I say and we'll all be happy. <laughs> so guys, next week, um, we are going to be doing a full episode on the conjuring universe. Ooh, damn get ready for that one guys because we've already done our entire episode half of an episode where we just praised james wan <laughs> the whole time yeah it's like the last 45 <laughs> minutes of the entire episode well, look, was time. all about oh it's an hour <coughs> it is an hour timing i just rolled casper <laughs> Choking and drooling and coughing everywhere. Choking and drooling. I'm and like, the Conjuring oh universe. <laughs> Drools. 
Yeah, so... I mean, that is my favorite horror um, series. So, so this entire week, guys, we are going to be watching every single... Rewatching every single You know, I movie. think I've seen the original Conjuring movie probably in the 40s. I'm... Probably in the 40s or the 50s. Same I've seen it that many times. The original one. I could yeah. quote the Same fuck seas. out of that movie. Every time, what's your name? Who's your daddy? <laughs> That's a great fucking song, too. And they have it in the movie! Yeah. So good. Such is groovy. It's so, so 70s. It's so 70s. Yeah, and that, that movie holds such a special place to me. Because it was the last movie that I saw with my mom before she died. And if my mom... I would have, first of all, I would have never known about the Warrens if it wasn't for my mom. Second of all, I really wish my mom would have been able to live to see where it's gone to from the first one. Because she loved uh, the first one. And she just would have been ecstatic to see where they've gone now all the way up until Annabelle come home, which was just... So if you guys so haven't good. seen them so all, good. make sure to watch them. Um, Conjuring one, watch them in this order. Yeah, watch, make sure you watch them Casper in this order. On this one, this is because very if you don't, here's the thing: they come out out of order. But unless you watch them in this order, the movies don't mean as much to you, right? And there's certain parts that we're gonna mean. Or like jaw dropping, holy fuck moments, and you're not gonna have them if you don't watch them in this because they'll in this loop, order. They'll loop back into each other. Yeah. So make sure you watch the Conjuring one first, the Conjuring two, Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, the Nun, and then Annabelle Comes Home. If you haven't seen Annabelle Comes Home, if we'll we'll probably not go too deep deep into that one because that one's still in theaters right now. Right. Um. But make sure you watch Conjuring 1, Conjuring 2, Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, The Nun. That is the order you need to watch them in, which is the order they came out in. And the ending of Annabelle Creation and the ending of The Nun are going to mean so much more to you if you've seen Conjuring 1, Conjuring 2, and Annabelle in that order. Because if you don't follow them in that order, guys, they just, they absolutely will not make any sense. We promise you. They just won't make They won't sense. mean as much. Like, especially because, like, at the end of Annabelle Creation, when me and uh, Mackenzie went and saw that, at the end of the movie, we sat in the theater for a solid, like, five to ten minutes just mm-hmm. contemplating what the fuck just happened because it was so... James Wan has a way of just puzzle piecing it. He'll just throw out all these puzzle pieces and then he'll loop it back and just make it make all this kinds of sense. After you watch them all in that order... You will never be able to watch the original Conjuring the same. I can't watch the original Conjuring the same anymore because of what happened. And I can't say what happened because that's going to destroy the illusion. Right. So So you guys have a whole week now. (laughs) Get to watch it. (laughs) Get to watch it. If you've seen them all, good on you. Yep. Excited excited for this. I'm excited to go back and rewatch them. But the only one that I don't really want to rewatch is Annabelle. Yeah, we talked about this was Annabelle. That one was a little... (laughs) But that was rough. There was literally like one scene in the entire thing that actually creeped me out. It was the scene where she's in the basement. Yeah. And oh. then that motherfucker's on the stairs. I'm, I'm like, like nope. I'm like, no. that's a no for me, dog. 
But The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2 are my favorite horror movies ever made. Definitely so. by far the two best in the series. Oh, yeah. Down. I don't know. Annabelle Creation is pretty up there, too. Down. That one scared the shit out of me. <laughs> uh, yeah, to be quite honest with you guys, besides the first one, uh, Annabelle Creation scared the holy bejesus out of me. And the most jaw-dropping ending. ending. I was like, the also, thanks for Except your... for The Nun. The Nun scared the shit out of me, too, and another jaw drop. The Nun is such a... Okay, we'll just wait. I was yeah, going to say, it's stop. just such a beautiful Sorry, movie, good but... God, guys. We'll be another 45 <laughs> minutes into talking about this, and you'll be like, why do we even need to listen to next week's episode? <laughs> when you just did next week's episode. Okay, guys, so word from our sponsor. Calm your body down. I don't know why I decided to do a different tune today. That's okay. It was in a different (laughs) octave. We worked it out. Um, Guys, if you haven't seen already on the Instagram stories, so we are getting so close to 120 followers. We're like literally two or three followers away. If we get to 120 followers, um, there will be a coupon code that will come out for 20% off everything. So we still have the DFWTO uh, coupon code for free shipping on everything at the Etsy shop for Calm Your Body Down. But if you can get the Instagram page up to 120 followers, then there will be a coupon code offer for 20% off everything on the shop. So uh, spread the word repost. Um, We just got recently featured on an Etsy post on Instagram. So thank you again to them. Um, And you guys spread the word and get the word out there as much as possible to get us to as many followers. Um, The Instagram page again is at see your B as in boy, D as in dog, calm your body down is the company, calmyourbodydown.com. If you want to know anything about the company and how it started and what there is to offer, um, that's the website. And again, the Etsy shop, just search calm your body down, but Get us 220 followers, guys. We will. That'll be a great coupon code offer coming up for the rest of the summer to get as many items as you can going. So, calm your body down. That was good. That was better. That, that was, was much on, better. That was actually on points. on key. All right, guys. So social media. Give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Don't Fuck with the Original. Twitter's handle is DFWTO8811. Any questions, concerns, or comments, please email us at DFWTO8493 at gmail.com. We are on podcast. Podcast. Duh. We are a podcast. podcast. Jesus. We are on Podbean, (laughs) Podcast Player, Podcast Addicts, CastBox, and Spotify. If you are looking to give us a follow, please do that and you will get notifications every time we post a new episode every Wednesday. I believe that is it. That's it. That's all I got. All right. So look forward to next week watching the Conjuring movies. Please do it. You won't regret it. They're the best. Shout out to James Wan. You're a fucking beast and we love you. Yes, we do. We love you.